Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's College Football Show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman, with our Week 10 preview. There are five games this week between ranked teams, so we are previewing all five of those games, and all five of those games have some pretty massive playoff implications as well, Dalton, so we have an absolutely loaded show for everyone today. Oh, totally. I mean, we got the first rankings last night, which we're about to get into, but we're getting into a point every week where there's there's going to be a handful of elimination games every mm-hmm. week. I think we're only down to about 13 or 14 teams that even have a pulse in the playoff race, and every game, every one of these games we go over is going to have massive implications. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of those college football playoff rankings, let's do a quick segment real quick on our reaction to the first college football playoff rankings. And you told me before the show, Dalton, that you are, are pretty cranky about the initial college football playoff rankings. What is your main takeaway after seeing the top 25 last night? I I honestly don't understand the top seven at all. Um, I think when we did this on Monday, we went with the idea of who do we think are the best teams right. in order, right? And, and that makes sense. Putting Ohio State one makes a ton of sense to me. Okay, yeah. I get it. They have the two. They have the two big wins. Although, when they keep saying that at Notre Dame is the best win of any team, I, I don't believe that Ridiculous. one bit. Washington's win over Oregon's better. Florida State's win over LSU is honestly better. I, LSU would beat Notre Dame. Texas over Alabama is better. Yeah. Texas, yeah. So when they kept talking about that, no. Ohio State has it because they have two really good wins, dominated Penn State. I'm totally cool with Ohio State at one. We mentioned that Monday. If you went out, if you're going out, there are really two roads to go about this. One is who do you think are the best teams? In which case, I think it makes sense that Georgia and Michigan would be one and two, mm-hmm. okay, in some order and then go with the rest, like we did. Or you could go with the resumes and you could put yeah. Ohio State one. And then I think, honestly, from there, you have to put. Either you have to put Florida State and Washington two and three in some yep. order, and Georgia, Michigan four or five. Yep. Because Georgia, you know, they've blown out. You know, Luke Oregon last was it last night? Yeah. Mentioned. Okay, so they beat up Kentucky and Florida. Those aren't great teams. And then he specifically mentioned Florida State playing tight with Boston College. <laughs> Every team except Michigan has some tight scare mixed in there. Yeah. I, I don't understand why Florida State gets jobbed because, oh, they played one tight game on the road with Boston College. Okay, every team except Michigan. Do, do we not remember Georgia trailing South Carolina at halftime or not taking the lead on Auburn until the last three minutes or, or you know, Washington the last few weeks? Or, I, I just don't – even Ohio State playing tight games. So, so they think the best win in the country is beating Notre Dame at the buzzer when they were a man short. I, I, I don't I, – you can either – Decide who the best teams are. Yep. Okay. Or you can go with the resumes. But they tried to straddle this line between the two, and I'm not in favor of it at all. Then even you get to six and seven. So then we go resume one, I test two and three. I guess resume undefeated four and five. And then you went back to the eye test six and seven with Oregon over Texas. Yeah. And and I know doing what they did at Utah is impressive, but what other big time win does Oregon have? And are is are is anything they've done? Because we talked about it last week. Under the hood, Utah, they were playing way, way over their heads. Yeah. Okay. Way over their heads, getting away with turnovers, getting away with horrible pass protection, backup quarterbacks, all that stuff. You mean to tell me? That's not eye test. Flipping back to the eye test, when we go with – because we both had Texas at six. Mm-hmm. 
how how is Texas beating Alabama in Alabama and clearly looking like the better team, not better than Oregon beating Utah? I, I don't I don't get that. I, I get it was by thirty. I get it. It, it. It's I feel like if both of the games happened last week instead of Texas beating Bama in week two, they would be six. Yeah, no absolutely. Question. And you look at that Oregon schedule. I have Oregon at eight in my rankings because you look at what they've done this year. Yes, the Utah win was impressive, and doing it in Utah is impressive, but. That's their only win over a currently top 25 team. Oregon's second best win of the season is either 4-4 four and four Colorado or 4-4 four and four Washington State. That's it for what they've done this season. Meanwhile, Texas has beaten Alabama, which you can make an argument might be the best win of the entire season in Tuscaloosa. And they beat Kansas, who's number 21 right now in the college football playoff rankings. Alabama, meanwhile, has uh, beaten... Um, you look at Tennessee, who's number 17 in the ranking. Ole Miss is number 10 in the ranking. So it's like you combine those two. I think Texas's best win and Alabama's best win is better than Oregon's best win, which is Utah. And then Texas's second best win and Alabama's second best win blows Oregon's out of the water. So that's why I think Oregon should have been eight in the ranking. I know you disagree with me in that one, but six, I agree with you, man, is ridiculous. Um, I think you nailed it on the head. I think the, the inconsistency, which is something that we always talk about, I feel like with the college football playoff rankings, how inconsistent they are. And you see the resume versus eye test thing is is wildly inconsistent. I mean, you look at Georgia and Michigan. I mean, you look at ESPN's strength of record metric, which is not a PFF metric, but it's what theirs. Georgia's seventh in the country in terms of resume. Michigan's ninth in the country. So if you go on purely off resume, you could argue for some one-loss teams over them. So I don't like that. Um, another one I wanted to shout out, I understand they were ineligible to be ranked. So it's not the playoff committee's fault that they're not ranked. Uh, or maybe it is, honestly, for making these rules. But James Madison is unranked because they're not eligible to play in the postseason. You can make an argument this is a top 15 team in the country right now with what they've done this year. They're 8-0. Uh, I think they deserve to be ranked in the, at least the top 20. They're not ranked here. Air Force, I think, is too low as well. Liberty is still unranked. They're 8-0 on the season. I think that's bad. So, yeah, I, I was. Uh, it was a pretty interesting first top 25 for the college football playoff committee. But, listen, as, as angry as we can get about these, they don't matter until December. And then we'll, we'll finally get the final ranking. We can see if we'll argue about that. But right now, I think going purely off resume is a little too much. Uh, for me, that's why we have Georgia and Michigan number one and two because I think they're far and away the two best teams in the country. But we'll see, and, and a lot will shake out over the course of the season, including a Georgia game this weekend that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But like I mentioned, we have five games, Dalton, between ranked teams. All of them have huge, huge implications. I know we did a seven-game show a few weeks ago. I would say these five games might be better than those seven games that we, that we talked about a few weeks ago. So I'm excited. First one we're talking about is number 23, Kansas State, at number 7, Texas, 12 p.m. Eastern time on Fox. And the big question, honestly, is, is Quinn Ewers once again going to be out? Because Pete Thamel reported that his shoulder injury is about two to four weeks, which means there's a slight chance he could suit up against Kansas State. But honestly, he probably won't with that grade two AC joint sprain in his throwing shoulder. So Malik Murphy will probably get a second career start. He had a 60.9 passing grade last week, three big-time throws, two ugly turnover-worthy plays. So I just don't think Texas can really have a roller coaster performance under center like that, Dolan, if they want a chance to uh, keep their playoff hopes alive in this one. No, I, I totally agree, and, and we've talked about Texas, and I think for the moment, if you have Murphy or Manning or another backup quarterback in there, Texas 
they are what they are, right? They're, they're going to run it down your throat with Brooks. They're going to play good defense. They're going to keep the game in the box, and they're going to score somewhere in the mid to high 20s, depending on who they're playing. They're just going to need to play complementary football, and the rest of their team is going to have to carry this thing. Murphy didn't show us a whole, whole lot last week. He didn't have to. We talked about the advantages that Texas had in the trenches against BYU. That showed up. Um, they they really have to show us how well-rounded – and actually, to be honest, they've been that well-rounded all year outside of the Alabama game. Ewers has been more solid than spectacular. Um, so they, they're kind of used to this, but it's it's getting stressed to a greater extent. Um, and it's really it's really going to come to a head this week, especially on their defense against Kansas State, who's raging hot right now. Yeah, absolutely. So is there a specific matchup, Dalton, that you're really looking forward to in this game? Yeah, I, I, I was looking into – so Kansas State's been hot. They've scored 40 points a game over their last three. And, mm-hmm. and a few weeks ago, they got really – I don't want to say embarrassed, but they looked really bad on a Friday night against Oklahoma State. And, and what it came down to was their passing game just failed them. Um, dropping back too much. Will Howard's a very good play-action passer, but the drop-back game is not their game, right? And they – I imagine they went into a meeting after that game and said – how can we fix this passing game? And the conclusion they came to is, actually, we're not gonna, we're not gonna fix it. What we're gonna do is we're gonna start playing our second quarterback, Avery Johnson, who's a wicked athlete, mm-hmm. and we're just gonna turn up the, we're gonna turn up the turbo on this run game. Okay, the last three weeks, Will Howard's only taken forty-five dropbacks in the in the last three weeks. They're they're only throwing the ball fifteen to twenty times a game, couple for Johnson here and there, but they have just totally turned into this team that centers everything around the run game. And it is as nasty a run game as you can get. And over the last three weeks, they're the second highest graded offense in the country. They they put in Howard for a couple drives. They put in Johnson for a drive or two. And Howard can run the ball too. He's a good athlete too. But they, they have designed this thing, and they could already run the ball well with the backs, but what Avery Johnson has brought to them coming in you know, in part-time duty is he's created more space in this run game. You see it with Giddens and Treshawn uh, Ward. Mm-hmm. Be, like When they just kind of run straight ahead with Howard, traditionally it looks like good but not great. The element of quarterback run that's been added to this offense, along with everything they do schematically, they run they run power, they run counter, they run options, they run jet sweeps. They're all over the place with this run game. They lead the power five in the last three weeks in quarterback rush attempts. All right, they have 50. All right, the next closest team in design quarterback rush attempts in the last three weeks has 34. Wow. All right, so... You've got you've got read option. You've got even just straight quarterback, just sweeps to the edges. They they motion all over the place. They cause a ton of problems. You know, we talk about there's some coaches that if they could, they would run the ball every single play. Right now, at Kansas State, that's that's what they're doing. They yeah. are they are going to run it down your throat till you are out of gas, and they're going to keep doing it. And just what Johnson and even Howard to an extent have brought, creating space, freezing defenders. And then they use so many, so many pulling linemen, Cooper Beebe and the guys up front pulling like crazy. Power, counter. They have there's so much misdirection along with just a really good, powerful offensive line that can mow you down. The combination of those two things makes their run game absolutely lethal. And I think Texas, look, they're they have the fifth best run D 
against gap schemes. Okay, and Kansas State runs more gap scheme runs. You think about running straight ahead, running power, running counter, those sorts of things. But Texas hasn't seen a ton of it. The, actually, the fourth fewest reps against it in the Power Five. So you've got, you know, if you take out their game against Rice, they're a little more like above average than elite. This is going to be a major, major issue for Texas. All right. And they also have the second worst EPA per play against quarterback runs. So all the combination of all of these things, Giddens, Ward, Howard, and Avery Johnson, who look, he looks tall and lanky and skinny and all. He is blazing fast. When I tell you if he, if he gets a crease, he's gone. He is gone. Yeah. The spacing, the spacing in their run game right now and how disciplined you have to be against Kansas state. This is going to be the ultimate test for Texas's front seven. Dude, Avery Johnson. So Avery Johnson, by the way, true freshman. He was a top 10 quarterback recruit coming out of high school in that Arch Manning class. So he's a true freshman doing this. So he's the quarterback of the future for Kansas State. He ran a 4-5-4 in the 40 in high school. Like, this is a really good athlete, like you mentioned. He jumped about 37 inches in the vertical as well. Uh, on three sports, his comparison that I kind of love uh, coming out was Pat White. You remember Pat White, electric quarterback at West Virginia. That's kind of what Avery Johnson has been like. So I love that, you know, he's the quarterback of the future for Kansas State, and he's the quarterback right now for them as well. Really making some big plays for them while Will Howard is still kind of the starting quarterback. So, yeah, great breakdown. I love uh, Cooper Beebe versus Devondre Sweat. will be a, a matchup to watch. Sweat has been one of the best D tackles in the league in the nation this year. Cooper Beebe, who we interviewed, by the way, I think might be the best guard in the country two years running now. Uh, he really could be a first-round pick if he keeps this up. I don't know if you saw the, the pancake block that went viral in the last week against, I think, Houston. He destroyed a Houston linebacker. And it went viral. I tweeted it out if you want to if you want to see it. But uh, Cooper Beebe, man, has been on fire. I still don't think Cooper Beebe has not allowed a sack since the 2020 season. And he played left tackle, right tackle, left guard for Kansas State. He plays all over the offensive line. He's still an elite offensive lineman, man. So check out the interview with him. He's a terrific kid as well. Really funny guy, honestly. Um, but you mentioned the run game for Kansas State and, and why Texas needs to stop that in this game. That's the same thing on the other side of the ball, man. My biggest matchup I'm watching is, can Kansas State stop Jonathan Brooks, who has been one of the best backs in college football this past season? He right now is the number one running back on PFF's 2024 NFL Draft Big Board, which is constructed by Trevor Sikma, our lead draft analyst. He also leads all Power 5 running backs with 58 forced missed tackles this year. So even after losing Bijan Robinson, even after losing Roshan Johnson, they still have one of the best running backs in the country. And his backup, CJ Baxter, was the number one running back recruit coming out of high school. He's a true freshman right now. So Texas's running back dynasty, I mean, they're – you know, there are a lot of other schools are in the, the running for running back U, obviously. But Texas, what they've been doing the last few years, man, has been in, really incredible uh, at the running back position. Kansas State, meanwhile, is 97th in the country in team run defense grade, right about 70.2. Also, they're allowing over five yards per attempt, which is the ninth most in the power five. So I think they need to stack the box, man, take the game out of Jonathan Brooks's hands, put it in Malik Murphy's inexperienced hands and see what the redshirt freshman can do, man. Because I think that's the way Kansas State can win this game is one, by having a dominant run game of themselves and two, of stopping Texas' run game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, it's it's what it's going to come down to on both sides. You've got two teams who are really trying to avoid throwing the ball. So, I, I, whoever you know, whoever has more rushing yards in this game, whoever wins time of possession, whoever can finish drives, you know, and I think I think get themselves in good spots on early downs and sustain drives, keep yourself in third and short, I, I, you know. Kansas State, both of these teams are explosive in the run game, too. You know, it might just come down to who shakes a couple tackles and makes some big plays. You know, over the last three weeks, Kansas State leads the country uh, with 35 explosive runs. I mean, that's they are they're they are when I tell you they are creating creases and getting after it and getting vertical that, like I said, they have four different guys who can really run the ball, including Will Howard, who are a big time threat running the ball. You know, you mentioned. Brooks and Baxter, you're going to see some big, nasty football being played by these two teams. I, I think I think the team, obviously, we've said this before in these running kind of games, who's getting ahead early? you, you got two teams trying to avoid their quarterback. Who who needs to throw the ball in the fourth quarter and who can avoid it? it it's it's going to be a big thing, whoever gets out ahead early and gets, gets in their rhythm. The one thing you mentioned to Vondre Sweat, the one thing I do like also for Kansas State in this game and their run game is the way their run game is designed – kind of takes defensive tackles out of it because as much as they pull and get off tackle and do some things, they really just kind of wash the rest of that down inside. So Sweat, he's going to have to get some really, really quick penetration here if if he wants to make an impact because because Kansas State, they very they don't really line up and like run just right, you know, zone right at you. Yeah. Like say like take Oklahoma's running game and the way that, that, can, that Texas could kind of at times control that because they just run right at you. Kansas State doesn't really do that. They're going to do they they're actually very well equipped to avoid him and make make their linebackers make second level guys make reads and beat them. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, the, one of the best one-on-one matchups of the entire weekend, maybe the entire season, is Cooper Beebe against Tavondre Sweat. So if, if 50 is lining up against Tavondre Sweat on a lot of reps, you better tune in for that, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. But ultimately, Dalton, who are you going with in this big, big 12 game? There, there is something about Kansas State I like. I, I, I think, I think I, I think we know what to expect from Texas right now, especially with a backup in there. I, I believe firmly they are going to find some way between Brooks and maybe a couple play action hits to Worthy and Whittington, and that they're going to find their way to I, I think to twenty four, maybe twenty seven points, mm-hmm. something like that. But K State, K State's raging hot, and and I just like that they have. They, they have found who they are, right? I think earlier in the year they got in a shootout with Missouri trying to throw the ball, and they just got beat, obviously, by a 60-plus yard field goal. Oklahoma State, you know, they threw three interceptions, and I think they just understand that their run game, their O-line, two good backs, two good running quarterbacks can make big plays. And and it's not, it's not traditional, at least not nowadays. It's, I should say it's not modern, you know, but they get it done, and there's and they're not just a team that lines up and just runs one play like like Oregon State lines up right, and they yeah. run like two plays over and over <laughs> and over. There is a ton of diversity in in this in this run game, and Texas's run defense is essentially Tavondre Sweat is great, and everything else is sound. But mm-hmm. they have issues defending the quarterback run, albeit in a small sample. Dylan Gabriel got some on him. Jason Bean had a couple runs on him. Jalen Milrow. I'm telling you, maybe other than Milrow, Avery Johnson is as good an athlete as any of those guys, if not better. Uh, he Actually, you, you brought up Pat White. I, I just think of Kansas State. It reminds me a lot of, like, remember Colin Klein? Yep. 
He's not he's not as big as Colin Klein. He's a little thinner and probably a little faster, but same idea of like, hey, we've got this like we've got this wicked athletic quarterback and, and we're not afraid to show it. I I I think Kansas State's run game, I I think they're blazing hot right now. If they just avoid early mistakes and they if you see them have early success, especially on first down. I think Kansas State can go in there and pull this off. I, I, if Quinn Ewers was playing, I might lean the other way, but that might be the equalizer because the one thing I could tell, you know, you could tell Texas had a distinct advantage was at quarterback, right? Will Howard, occasionally good throw, especially in play action, but it's just he's not going to carry you. Quinn Ewers for stretches can carry you, and if he's not in there and it's Murphy, this is a dead even game. To me, and I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Kansas State 31 to 27. Woo! I love it. The upset pick. I, I'm going with Texas in this game. Although, you know, the, the two turnover worthy plays for Murphy were ugly, but uh, Steve Sarkeesian in his press conference kind of broke them down a little bit. The interception was kind of on the receiver. The fumble was a little bit on the offensive line as well. Um, don't get me wrong, Malik Murphy had some up and down plays in that game. Don't get me wrong, but. I do think he's got something more in the tank than what he showed in that game against BYU. I think Texas will pull this out at home without, even without Quinn Ewers. I think Jonathan Brooks can really take advantage of that weak Kansas State run defense right now. I got 28-23. The Longhorns riding Brooks to victory, keeping the playoff hopes alive. I think Texas uh, stays alive in the college playoff race with a victory over Kansas State. Uh, you mentioned Missouri before, who beat Kansas State earlier in the year in that Honestly, thrilling game. Missouri is the next team we're talking about, Don. Number 12, Missouri. At number 2, Georgia. 3.30 p.m. on CBS. And it feels a little bit weird seeing that number 2 next to Georgia's name when they've been number 1 the entire season and have not lost a game since the 2021 season when they lost to Bryce Young in the SEC Championship game. Now, really, the storyline is, can Georgia reclaim number 1? Because like we mentioned at the top, the only reason why Georgia is not number 1 in the country right now is their resume. They still have not played a top 30 team in the country, according to PFF's power rankings. Now, you have three straight top 20 opponents in Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. And you're going to be probably be without Brock Bowers again in this game, your superstar tight end. So Georgia can really show the committee, hey, even without our superstar, we're playing the toughest team we played all season this could be the time for them to say, hey, we deserve to be number one again. We deserve to be over Ohio State in next week's college football playoff ranking. But, Dalton, what is the matchup that you're really looking forward to seeing in this game? Um, I, I was I was surprised, actually, to see how similar these two teams are. You've got two teams. Both of their offensive lines are in the top eight of grading. Both of their quarterbacks are incredibly underrated. Yeah. I, they're both playing. We've got, like, the list of, like, five or six Heisman-level guys and these are pretty much the next two guys playing right below them. Carson Beck's been really, really good, gets the ball out of his hands. Brady Cook, we've been talking about Brady Cook all year, and I'm going to dig in on that because that's about to be the matchup. You know, two teams that cover really well. Missouri's got the second-best group of corners in the country right now. Uh, Georgia's secondary is nasty. Malachi Starks and those guys. Yeah. The one thing I'm going to look at in this game which team can get a pass rush going? Okay, you've got two quarterbacks that are in the top in the top thirteen of clean pocket passing grade. Okay, they're both really good if they if they're back there and left to scan the field and and just make the throws they want to make. Okay, now Missouri their pass rush grade is a little bit better and and I, they don't have any individual guys 
that make things happen. But they blitz a lot. They give you a lot of different looks, and they create a ton of unblocked sacks through stunts and blitzes and just weird stuff that fools offensive lines. Georgia's offensive line, you know, it's great, and it's going to be put to the task this week. Now, Brady Cook, on the other hand, all right, you're talking about uh, if he stays clean with their receivers and Luther Burden and Marquise Johnson, Theo Weiss, and these guys, they got a real, real chance, and he's going to have to be that good because I, I, Cody Schrader, I like him a lot. I just doesn't feel like it's going to be the Cody Schrader game to no. me, right? We've talked about Georgia's success against running backs. Brady Cook is going to – if if Missouri wins this game, it'll be because they pass protect well and they keep Cook clean for at least 75%, and then Luther Burden's the best player on the field. Right. But the, it's going to start with pass protection, all right? Georgia blitzes a decent amount too, but we've talked about before the pass rush is really the one weakness yeah. on this Georgia team. Now they've picked up – I believe it's ten or so sacks in the last in the last two or three weeks. Ten or twelve sacks in the last two. It's picked up a bit, but it's still not. It's just not dominant. They have not found any dominant pass rusher. So go ahead. No, I was gonna say, dude, they're 82nd right now in pressure rate. Like it's it's insane. Yeah. Like it's not even like this is like oh it's like a top 30 pass rush, but it's not the the elite ones we saw in the last two years. No, it's bad. It's a below average pass rush they have yeah. right now. Yeah, and and that's with that's with some improvement in the last two or three right. weeks. Before that, it was in the 90s, I, I believe. Like yeah. the first six games was in the 90s. It's it's not been great. They're they're gonna. I would bring pressure. I would not send four and let Cook sit back there because I'll tell you too. He had a knee injury he was dealing with earlier in the year. In the last mm -hmm. couple weeks, you see the tape. His mobility is back. It's going to be a problem if he's clean back there and either A, Burden's running through the intermediate parts of the field, or B, Cook takes off and runs. His quarter, because Georgia is susceptible, susceptible sorry, to some quarterback running, and Cook is starting to run again. They've gotten a little more like conservative, efficient sort of since the LSU game. Like last week, he only threw one touchdown, but they really they got off running the ball. Schrader had a really, really good game, and they'll still need some balance in their offensive line to play really well. But I, I think the keys to this game, especially on Missouri's side, is is pass protection. And, and they're, they're a good pass-protecting team, right? Javon Foster, we've been begging for him to go in the first round and things like that. But this this game, it'll be at a premium. Because if he's, you don't want to be throwing the Georgia secondary no. under pressure, right? And I think he's going to, if Missouri is to win this game, he's going to be protected well, and Luther Burden will be the best, the best player on the field. You stole the exact matchup from me. So I, uh, my big matchup, besides the pass rush, but I think is a great point by you, that Georgia, yes, they need to get after Brady Cook in this game. And it's going to be hard because Missouri, right now, 10th lowest pressure rate allowed in the Power 5 this season. Missouri's offensive line has been great. My matchup is Missouri's passing attack, meaning Brady Cook and uh, those receivers, obviously Luther Burton third at the forefront of it, against Georgia's secondary, man. You see that graphic right there. Missouri, seventh in the country, averaging nine and a half yards per passing play. Georgia, third in the country, averaging four and a half yards allowed per passing play. So you got strength on strength, man. We mentioned how the pass rush for Georgia is well below average. The secondary is still elite. This is still an elite secondary. Malachi Starks, the safety there, is probably the best safety in America right now. He has really, really been good. He's the only safety in the country who has a top 15 coverage grade and a top 15 run defense grade. But you mentioned, man, Brady Cook, 
20 big-time throws this season. That's tied for third among all quarterbacks in the country. For a guy that was not throwing the ball well downfield in the past, now he has been incredible throwing the ball downfield. And a lot of it has to do with Luther Burden III, who leads the Power Five with nearly four yards per route run right now, 3.92. And he has 525 yards after the catch this year, which leads the Power Five as well. So this is a big matchup for me, Dalton, is whether or not Georgia's secondary can limit the big plays from Brady Cook, Luther Bird in the third, and those other group of receivers that Missouri's got. Because unless they send blitzes a lot, I don't really think Georgia's pass rush is going to be able to get home as well with just four men rushing the passer. Yeah, and I think they should dial it up. And you mentioned Cook with the 20 big-time throws, 16 of them from a clean pocket. That's the second yeah. most in the Power Five behind Drake May. Only Drake May has more from a clean pocket. So there's, there's a lot of elements. Look, if I was Missouri, I would go tempo. I wouldn't let I wouldn't huddle up and let Georgia get in all those blitz packages because they're, they're not great rushing with four. I would go tempo, get the ball out quick, make some of those yards after the catch happen. And if Georgia decides they're going to start blitzing, in quick situations and go man-to-man. We saw it last week against South Carolina. And at really every week, when teams go man-to-man against Missouri, they're going to throw over the top. Yep. They're going to do it. They're going to take shots with Burden and Johnson. They got two of them last week with Burden that, that were really, especially the touchdown early was a huge play, probably the biggest play of the game against South Carolina. They're going to, if you show them press man, they're going to go over the top. If you show them zone, they are so, I'm, I'm telling I want Kirby Moore to win the Broyles Award. Because I, I just can't believe how unbelievably well he's coached Brady Cook after Agreed. what we saw from him for the most part last year. It just the, He's seeing the coverages, and he's throwing the ball to the right spots as long as he's clean. I, I just all Schematically, they could cause Georgia a ton of problems. They just have to pass protect. And, and, the, and I'm not at all saying they're bad at it. It just has to happen. Now, I do think Georgia's answer is to ratchet it up. Go get him. Go yep. get him. Make him rush a little bit. Because usually right now when you blitz him, Cook's going to take off running. He's not going to throw through it. Go get him. Because, you know, Cook's a good athlete, but I don't think he's the type of supreme athlete who's just going to run away from Georgia defenders, right? Like, not like a, say, Jalen Milrow or, you know, if they see Jaden Daniels eventually or something like that. I think Georgia should ratchet it up. I, I really do. Start Come out the first, like, three or four plays blitzing. Go ahead and do it. And if they have an answer for it, then adjust off of it. But I would go get him. Yeah, absolutely. So last year, Dalton. Missouri was really the only team to really make it close with Georgia. Unranked Missouri lost to Georgia 26-22. to uh, It was at Missouri that game as well. That was really the only close game besides the Ohio State playoff game that Georgia played all season. So what will happen in this one? Do you think Missouri will make this a game? And do you think the Tigers could uh, upset the Bulldogs here? This is, this is a tough one. Uh, um, I think... I think this this is the two SEC games this week are really hard to pick. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> it's a travesty. It's an absolute travesty that Georgia's a fifteen and a half point favorite in this game. I, I'm I don't understand it at all. You mentioned the game last year. Missouri deserves every bit of that number twelve ranking. All right. Yep. They are they, offensively, they're an elite. I cannot name ten better offenses right now than this team. They 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 can cause Georgia. This is gonna be a fun game. I I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. Okay. And I think there's one one distinct difference between the two teams, and that's going to be Georgia up front on their O-line, especially in the running game, 
against Missouri's front seven. Okay, in the pass rush, Missouri, they can create pressure, you know, schematically, stunts, blitzes, that stuff. There's not a ton of answer in the run game. Okay, they they just, they kind of, the run game, they kind of line up and play it safe. They can really cover, they can rush the passer, but it's based on passing and stopping the pass. It would really benefit Missouri to get ahead in this game early. If they, if Georgia has the same success, just running straight at Missouri the same way they did last week against Florida, because in Florida, they they just they, they don't run fit well and they they get overpowered. They they just the entire basis of what happened last week with Georgia and Florida is just their offensive line blew away Florida's front seven. Yeah. Okay. Missouri, that's a problem for Missouri. It's it's really not great. Their linebackers rank 112th in grading. And that's that's a real problem because Georgia's line can get on the second level. If Georgia takes the ball early and they just start running it down Missouri's throat with a lot of success, it's it, they're going to have major problems because I think they can cover. McConkie and Lovett were great last week. They can I think they can really cover, and I think they could cause problems with the blitz game if they get them if they get Georgia in third and long. But that's such a big if. You have to. Georgia's foundation is still the run game. Dejon Edwards. I, I think that's going to be the difference. They're very patient. They wait for their moments to strike with big plays, but their run game is what sets the tone. I think it's going to be a good game. I, I've seen no reason that this should be a 15-point spread. I'm going to take Georgia 34-26, to 26, and, and I think Missouri's I think Missouri's going to put a scare into them again. If, if Missouri wins this game, which wouldn't shock me that much, the stars, Cook, Burden, the yep. corners, the guys we know about. I think Georgia is the safer bet here with their O-line and their run game. I think so, too. I, I think, and that's surprising that Missouri's linebackers grayed out that low because I actually had Missouri as a top 10 linebacker unit entering the season in the country because I love Tyron Hopper, who's really been disappointing this year. Uh, Chad Bailey has actually played really well, who I really liked before, but he's been banged up a lot this season. So that's unfortunate that they're not playing as well. Tyron Hopper especially has not lived up to the hype that he really had. Uh, Missouri's secondary I like a lot too. Chris Abrams Drain, we talked about before. He's had a great year. Uh, Ennis Rakestraw Jr., the other corner, has had a really good year. Their safeties are, are solid as well. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think Carson Beck, man, is you mentioned how Brady Cook's criminally underrated, and I agree with you. Carson Beck might be the most underrated quarterback in the country right now. He has the second-best passing grade in America, behind only Michael Penix Jr., and Carson Beck is like almost nowhere to be found on Heisman list right now. I don't think he's, he deserves to be a top-five candidate yet, but I'd be hard-pressed to not see him at six or seven, probably. He showed a lot in that Florida game, man. I know Florida's secondary is, is well below average, but without Brock Bowers, it looked like business as usual for Carson Beck. 315 yards, was finding Ladd McConkie. I have really been impressed by him. I, I think I agree with you. The Georgia run game could be a big factor in this one. 34-24 is my final score. I do think Missouri will be able to get some big plays with Burden, but also that Georgia secondary is elite, man. And I know the pass rush is going to struggle probably for Georgia unless they dial it up and blitz heavy but i still think georgia is gonna come out on top in this one and they'll create a compelling case to the college football playoff committee and say hey we deserve to be number one in next week's ranking so georgia 34 missouri 24 is my predicted final score next game we're talking about another 330 game is number nine oklahoma at number 22 Oklahoma State, which is at 3.30 on ABC. The big storyline, Dalton, is honestly kind of a sad one. This is the final Bedlam game 
for the foreseeable future. And I did some research. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have played every season since 1910. 1910. It's been 113 straight years that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State have played every single year. That's the second long or tied for the second longest uninterrupted rivalry in FBS history. Only behind Wisconsin, Minnesota, which has played every year since 1907. And NC State Wake Forest is also tied with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State at 1910. So 113 straight years, but this is the last one. Because after this, Oklahoma leaves the Big 12 for the SEC after the season. The non-conference schedules are already pretty much locked up until like the 2030s. So they're not going to be playing each other for a while after this. So it's, it, this rivalry is going to go out with a bang with this game. Because I think it will be a very, very exciting game. But it is a little sad, though. That this, is, this is the last Bedlam game that we're getting in one of the most storied rivalries in college football history. Yeah, especially in the last 15, 20 years or so, we've gotten some circus games out of these two teams. <laughs> and and honestly, I think we're going to get another one. You've got Oklahoma now trying to save their season every week. You've got Oklahoma State who is raging, raging hot. Ollie Gordon's going crazy, got almost 1,000 yards in the last five weeks. Um, there's there's a lot of weird There's a lot of weird in this game because you've got one team who suddenly looks shaky and one team who suddenly just basically out of nowhere shot themselves up to number 22 in the country. Um, I I think it's going to it's going to be bedlam for maybe one (laughs) last time for a while. But it's this is um, this might be the hardest game of the week to pick, to be honest with you, because I, I don't know. We Oklahoma and Texas have this similar feel to me where I'm like, there's some there's cracks. There's cracks, and we saw it against Kansas. But this is this is a weird one. We'll 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 get into it. But I think I think it's going to be as I think it's going to be as wild as any Bedlam game we've seen recently. I hope it is, man. Because like I said, it's sad that this rivalry is ending. Mike Gundy is very not happy that this rivalry is ending with Oklahoma leaving for the SEC. But hopefully, it goes out with a bang, man. And Oklahoma, like you mentioned, if they lose again, they're out. They can't lose again. And Oklahoma State's a dangerous, dangerous team right now. So this is going to be a really, really fun game. What is the matchup that you're really excited to watch in this game, though? I think I think more than a matchup. Well, kind of a matchup. I'll get into it. But I, I just think the spotlight's on Dylan Gabriel, man. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, kept, I kept hearing about all of this Heisman talk and these numbers and that. And Oklahoma's back and all this stuff. And then he comes out last week, 14 for 19 with a buck 71 and a pick six and a 51 passing grade. And if it, if I take out screens, all right, and, and this is something I'm going to get into, 7 of 12 without screens for 137 and the pick six. There's just – and they run Oklahoma. Look, this is this is life. They run the fifth most screens in the country. Yeah. All right. And in Big 12 play, you've got five games now in, against real competition, not Tulsa or whatever, whatever they were playing before. Five games. Take out the screens. Okay. He's got a 74 passing grade. He's completing 59% of his passes. He's got five big-time throws and six turnover-worthy plays. They, Oklahoma, to me, and I know everyone's got, well, Dylan Gabriel and the numbers and this, he just doesn't make, like, that many impressive big, big-time. I think he's good, but I, I don't, when we talk about those other Heisman-level guys, right, when we talk about, Penix and Caleb and and Bo Nix and these other guys. I don't think Dylan Gabriel's just in that group. No, and I know everyone was trying to put him in that group because they were undefeated. But does Oklahoma? Be honest. Do they have a single superstar on their offense? No, I don't think they they do. They line they line up, 
and they run their system and they run it really fast and they hope to just burn teams out and they they you know they're going to execute their stuff but it feels like any sort of adversity outside of okay they had to put together a last minute drive against texas which was great now i won't i won't take that drive away from him but there he just doesn't like elevate like he doesn't make huge throws he doesn't elevate anything beyond the system and i just wonder now how long you can keep doing this they don't change anything schematically there's not really any adjustments or layers to their offense they come out and run the same stuff every week so the big thing last week the pick six that put him down seven nothing i think he was rattled and i think the coaching staff was rattled knowing they're behind and only letting him throw 19 times the whole game when he's supposed to be your superstar guy and now you got an Oklahoma State team who's figured themselves out in coverage over the last four weeks. They have the eighth-best coverage grade in the country. You know, I talk about non-screens, right? They're only allowing right now under 53% of non-screens to be completed. Oof. This is going to be an issue. If they have to make real throws right now into this Oklahoma State secondary, he's got seven picks in the last four weeks, they're going to have a problem. Because they, they just, you know, I think even a bit like Kansas State, it might sound funny with Dylan Gabriel, but Oklahoma doesn't want to just drop back and throw the football. It's it's not their game. And if they get into that sort of game against, uh, again, a raging hot team who right now is throwing the counter punches to what Oklahoma wants to do, I would be I'd be very, very worried if Oklahoma fell behind or if they got if they got in a similar game as they did last week. Yeah. I, you know, I, I misspoke. I think there is one superstar in Oklahoma's offense, and that is Jeff Levy, the offensive coordinator. I think he's done a really good job. I, I think he's done a good job of elevating the what he's had because you look at the offensive grading for Oklahoma, they're 19th in the Power 5 in offensive grading, which is so, uh, solid. But they're 7th in the Power 5 in EPA per play, which means that really the players aren't doing much to elevate this offense. It's him scheming it up beautifully and making, you know, putting them in positions to win. So I think Jeff Levy, we mentioned the Broyles Award before, he might be a finalist, honestly. I think he's done a great job with this offense, especially when Brent Venables is obviously handling the defensive side of the ball. But I agree with you, man. We didn't have Dylan Gabriel in our top five Heisman candidates. I cannot tell you how many Oklahoma fans were in my mentions pissed at me that we didn't have Dylan Gabriel in there. So it, it almost was a little I don't I don't ever root against teams or players, obviously, but it was a little vindication when Kansas beat him. I was like, okay, we could stop. We could stop with the Dylan Gabriel Heisman for now. Um, but the matchup for me, Dalton, on the other side of the ball, there's one player for Oklahoma State, and there's one player in college football who is the hottest player in college football right now. The hottest player. That is Ollie Gordon. Like you mentioned, 1,087 rushing yards that leads the nation. In the first three games of the season, this guy had 19 total carries. 19. They were not using him at all. Now, all of a sudden, he leads the nation because of what he's done in the last five weeks. Mentioned it, 978 yards, 553 in the last two games. It is unbelievable what this guy is has done. He should be the favorite for the Doak Walker Award right now, man. And I, one stat that I love looking at is after contact, obviously. In the last two weeks, the leading Power 5 running backs over the last two weeks, Ollie Gordon, obviously number one, 553 yards. Number two is Ollie Gordon after contact with 315 yards. And then number three is Kyle Robichaux from uh, from Boston College with 277 yards. So Ollie Gordon leads the Power 5 over the last two weeks in rushing yards. And then his yards after contact are more than any other running back's rushing yards over the last two weeks. So he has been incredible. However... Oklahoma's run defense is elite, man. 90.1 run defense grade, eighth in the Power Five. Oklahoma also leads the country with 76 
tackles for loss or no gain this season. So they've done a really, really good job in run defense. I know Danny Stutzman, their star linebacker, got hurt in that Kansas game. Hopefully he's able to go in this one. But the big question on the other side of the ball, besides Dylan Gabriel on for when Oklahoma's on offense, when Oklahoma stays on offense, Oklahoma really just has to focus in on Ollie Gordon because otherwise Oklahoma State's passing game has kind of been well below average the, the entirety of the season. Yeah, and I think I think it's actually the stress test now for Oklahoma's run D. I, I think there's a lot of numbers for Oklahoma on both sides that are tilted from from an easy first three games, right? They didn't really play anyone out of conference. You look at they've given up though 155 rushing yards in five straight games, and that includes that's 225 last week against Kansas. I I think I think they're a good run defense. I think the grading might be a little tilted. If you look at them just in Big 12 play, they're closer to solid than elite. I, I, I think there's Good a chance point. here for Gordon, and I'm going to be real with you. If you give him chances, he you give him a lane, good luck. I, I'll be honest with you. He 28 explosive runs in the last five weeks. That's you're, you're ripping off almost six explosives a week. That's dangerous. And you're talking, I think it was a 70 ish yarder last week against Cincinnati. This guy, that's, 10, he, that's for the audience at home is 10 plus yard runs, right? Explosive runs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tw- 28 of them in the last, in the last um, five weeks, which obviously is the most in the country. Everything he's doing is the most in the country right now. <laughs> everything. But no, if he if he gets a few lanes and he picks up some first downs early, you know they obviously they want to avoid most of their passing ex- except for deep play action shots, right? Down, generally down the sideline, much better. Oklahoma State looks more comfortable throwing outside the numbers. If they get one on ones, they're gonna they're gonna take a shot to kind of make you respect it. But there, the basis is obviously the run game, and I think I think you know even in the Kansas game last week. Look, Kansas ran for 225 yards. Jason Bean got off running. You know, Devin Neal. They, I think Oklahoma. I I do think there's some cracks in there. Yeah, I do. I think I think their defense, and we've talked about this with Venables, where all of a sudden you even saw it against UCF. UCF ran for a ton of yards on them, 190 something. That sounds right. It's it's in there. I think you have to stay patient. I, I think the scary part to me is Oklahoma still lost the game when I believe they forced did they force two turnovers and Bean I think had four turnover worthy plays. Yeah, it was ugly. They it, it it was it was ugly, and they came out on, on the losing side. If this game gets ugly too, they're they're going to have some issues. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. So mentioned Ollie Gordon is obviously the he's the hottest player in college football right now, man. He is absolutely on fire. That's going to be the big matchup for Oklahoma State for Oklahoma, excuse me, is to, is to stop that guy because otherwise it's going to be a long day. And if you stop him, I mean, mentioned before, Alan Bowman has really been meh this season. Like so, Ollie Gordon really does carry that offense. Um, and it's going to be interesting, man. He's a bigger running back too. He's got a, a wicked dead leg, man. A wicked dead leg. I'm saying wicked now like you are. I hate this, but he's got a really good dead leg that, I mean, I've seen guys fall, like break their ankles, honestly. For a bigger running back, you don't really see that too much. You usually see them run him over. Ollie Gordon, 6'1", 211, and he's juking guys out, man. I love, love, love watching this guy's tape, and I'm so excited that we get to talk about this guy for another year after this year, too. He's only a true sophomore, which is insane. Ultimately, Dalton, who wins the final Bedlam game for the foreseeable future? Well, there's just something about Oklahoma State backs and shaking guys, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, this game, 
Oh, this game is weird because it always is. You, you've oh boy, Bedlam, isn't it? It's Dylan Gabriel is supposed to be the difference maker. He's supposed to be the difference between these two teams. I don't see honestly a ton of difference between the two of them outside of that quarterback. But maybe he's not. Maybe he's just not. Maybe he's a good quarterback, but he's not a difference maker. I, they they need to establish his confidence early. Uh, the The worst thing that happened to him was throwing that pick six on the first drive mm-hmm. last week. I, I think it rattled his confidence. It rattled the coach's confidence. Jeff Lebby, you mentioned. I know it was raining and they had it was kind of sloppy and ugly, but you still it's very hard to believe that you've you've got almost any college quarterback, especially in an offense like that, only throw nineteen passes in a game. It wasn't. It was raining. It wasn't that ugly out there. It yeah. wasn't. It wasn't Jets Giants. All right. <laughs> it, it's, it it it's one of these. It's one of these things where I go, okay, man. Now, especially on the road, you know how, you you know how it can be over there in Oklahoma State. Oh, dude, it's, it's weird. Yeah, Stillwater gets it, weird. It, it gets weird. It gets loud. If seems it looks like on TV that the ground is shaking. To be honest with you. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the Big Twelve completely upside down this week. Wow! I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Cowboys. I think Ollie Gordon. I think he goes for another 150, and I think I think a big thing. I think this Oklahoma State secondary can keep them in the game. They're they're running hot lately. They've got seven picks in the last four games. I think if you can find yourself. Two turnovers. I think you can absolutely pull this upset off because I don't think the rest of these two teams, especially if Stutzman is out and Ollie Gordon's running against them without Stutzman, I think you have a major problem big time. He he can take any run 70 yards. Uh, he can shake your eyes out, and when he gets a crease, he is gone. And I mean gone. I'm going to take – it's going to be wild. It's going to be wacky. I'm going to take Oklahoma State 38-35. to 35. Wow. I love it, man. So you are basically saying Big Twelve is out of the college football playoff now because of I'm Texas. I'm calling it. it I love. I'm it, calling dude. it. Every every week, every week, a couple of teams are going to get eliminated, and I'm I'm calling out the Big Twelve right now. Big Twelve is done, according to Don. I'm actually going to say Big Twelve stays alive with those two teams. I got Oklahoma in this one, 33-27. I do think Oklahoma's run defense. Good point by you. There has been cracks. But I still think they'll slow down Gordon just enough, and I just don't think Alan Bowman can win this game, man. If they slow down Gordon enough where he's below 100, which is something that's insane to say, that like, oh, if you get him to 90 yards, like, because he's been above 100 in every single game besides the first three games of the year when he didn't get any carries. But I do think if they do that, I don't know if Alan Bowman could do enough in this game. And I do think Dylan Gabriel could do just enough to get by. So I think Oklahoma 33-27. I think Oklahoma wins this game and stays alive in the college football playoff hunt. Next game we're talking about, this one is going to be, if you like points, you better be tuning in for this game because I think it's the highest over-under of the week. 76 right now is the over-under for this game. Number five, Washington at number 20, USC, 7.30 p.m. on ABC. The storyline, Dalton, is there's two teams in this game that are playing with fire. Washington won their first four games by an average of 33 points. Last four games, they won by seven points. They beat Arizona State and Stanford by a combined 17 points. They were a combined 55.5-point favorites in those games. Washington, though, still hasn't been burned, even though they're playing with fire. USC has been burned a couple times already. Uh, four of USC's last five games were one-possession games, and the only one that wasn't was when they got destroyed by Notre Dame, 48-20. to 
USC is not fighting for a playoff spot anymore. Washington is. But USC can still make the Pac-12 championship game with a win right now. Right now they're second right now in the Pac-12 um, in standings because they have a better conference record than Oregon. So USC can still make the Pac-12 championship game, so they still have a lot to play for right now. But what is the matchup, Dalton, that you're really excited to see in this game? I want to see if Penix can regain the magic on the deep ball. The first first four weeks of the season, he had a 96.2 deep passing grade. The last four weeks, it's a 74, which for for deep balls is low. Okay, you know, you expect obviously most of them are going to be big time throws and all of that. They Washington is. I, I think there's a couple of things happening here. I think they've they've gotten away a little bit from the play action game. He's Penix is also the best play action passer in the country. And I think they've gotten away from it a bit as they felt kind of, I don't want to say stressed out early in these games, but, you know, teams have, teams have put the shell on them. They're, they're, playing, they're playing back, and they want Penix to work for it. Now, under 20 yards, he's still big time. He's accurate. He can read defenses, all that stuff. And, and deep ball, look, it can be volatile. They can, okay? But you've got a team right now. That, I think there are times that I've seen in the last few weeks with this offense where they're trying to force vertical shots, and they don't need to do that. Run the ball, throw the ball 15 and under, set it up, make people move up before you can just, don't just force it into 20-yard deep safeties, right? You know, too high coverages, all that stuff. The other thing, too, you've got, they're just not separating in man coverage, yeah. and that's part of it, too. I think I think they're used to, with Odunze and Polk and McMillan and these guys, when they get in man coverage, well, yeah, we can throw it over the top, sure. But it doesn't always doesn't always work. It's not a guarantee, right? You play teams with you know Pac-12 secondaries. We've seen we've seen Arizona and Arizona State, and these teams keep themselves in games, right? They're they've got. I think they have to do a better job manufacturing big plays. Now USC, they're in the bottom twenty in in deep cover grade for the season, forty six point eight. They've allowed nine deep touchdowns, most in the Power Five. They we've talked about they're not the most fundamentally sound on defense and it shows on the back end as well as the front, right? I think the run defense gets a lot of the spotlight. And I think, honestly, I think running the ball could help Washington with this. I think Dylan Johnson, get him really rolling. I think he's a better back than people give him credit for. I think last week he only had 80, 85 yards somewhere in there. I think, I think Washington's at their best when they're a little more multifaceted on offense, run it with Johnson, get under center and get the play action going. Make safeties move up. I already know Penix can make all the accurate throws from sideline to sideline, but they need to do a better job creating big plays instead of just chucking it up and hoping they happen. Right? You know, Penix can Penix can do that, but if you're if you're going to just force them downfield, you're going to get safeties sitting back. You're going to get double coverage. You're going to just get balls. There's certain plays in right now that look forced, and I'd, I'd like to see them better manufacture their big plays. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, my matchup is is kind of basic. It's just is pretty much last year's Heisman Trophy winner against this year's Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams, or probably this year's Heisman Trophy. We'll see, we'll see what happens for the rest of the season. But Caleb Williams leads the country since his true freshman season with a 93.3 grade. He's actually tied with Bryce Young for the best among FBS quarterbacks. He's also second in the country in passing yards this year uh, with 2,660. Michael Penix Jr. leads the country in passing grade, also leads the country in passing yards. The only quarterback in the country that has more passing yards than Caleb Williams this year is Michael Penix Jr. You're not going to get a better quarterback matchup probably all season than these two. Caleb Williams is going to go first overall probably in the NFL draft. Michael Penix Jr. is going to be 
maybe QB3 and definitely a first-round pick in the draft as well. You got two first-round quarterbacks in this one, man. I do think, though, and we'll get into the predictions in a second, one big, big matchup. And we mention it all the time how USC's run defense is, is weak, and it is. Don't get me wrong. Washington's is really bad as well. Washington right now, in terms of EPA allowed per rush, second worst in the Power 5 this year behind Washington State. Marshawn Lloyd is one of the most underrated players in college football. USC does not use him enough, in my opinion. This is the game where you don't – I don't know if you want to get into a shootout with Washington because I think Washington's secondary is actually pretty good and and actually a little underrated. But if you can ride Marshawn Lloyd in this game against Washington's run defense, that might be the avenue for USC to win this game. I think Marshawn Lloyd has been, like I said, one of the most underrated players in college football, not even one of the most underrated running backs. Uh, I think he could be a huge, huge factor in this game for USC at home. But ultimately, Dalton – who is coming out on top in what should be an absolute shootout? I think you make a good point. We had it on the trivia the other day that I should have picked right, that Marshawn Lloyd is maybe the most efficient runner in the country, even if he doesn't get enough opportunity. And, and that's going to be a big part of it. Both Look, I think both of these teams need to have some balance. you got yeah. some good, good backs in this game. Lloyd, Dylan Johnson, I think especially Washington's offensive line is an elite, elite unit. Um, I, I like Washington. Look, you're not going to avoid the shootout. You can run the ball you want. This There's a reason the over-under 76, and you could argue should be higher. I, I think this game this game, this game, game is going to be crazy. Uh, but I think um, I think Washington's defense in spots has come through for them. I think against Oregon, it came through in big moments. I think, uh, which team? Was it Arizona State? They beat 15-7? to seven? Yes, Arizona State, yeah. And I, I know Arizona State's not great, but they got to be the friskiest one in six team I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, th- their their defense has come through in spots. USC still, they just gave up forty nine points to Cal, forty eight points to Cal. Uh, I I I I, just, I can't. I, I just I I think they're capable. I think Caleb Williams the last two weeks has finally been better under pressure, at least not giving the ball away somewhere around a seventy grade under pressure instead of a thirty. Um, I, I just this this has a feel to me, and it's on the road, which is tough. But this has a feel to me of just Washington is a better team. I think they're similar, and I think Washington is better. I think their defense will come through enough. It's not going to be pretty. The numbers will not be pretty. You're playing Caleb Williams, um, and I think Penix. I think Penix finds it. I, I think he, I think he started to find it last week. He threw four touchdowns last week and and had to work through it a little bit against Stanford, but. I'm I'm gonna say Washington. Give me forty nine. Give me forty nine to thirty nine. The over is gonna hit. Wow, I love that. The over's, actually, the over is gonna hit easy if, if I'm doing that math right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's like eighty eight points right there. Yeah, that's, that's an easy over then. I actually think the under might hit in this one. I got thirty eight, thirty five. I got USC in this game. I think USC is going to come out on top in this game. I think USC, one of these games where everyone's counting them out, everyone's counting Caleb Williams out, and they're not going to beat Oregon. They're not going to beat Washington. They're not going to beat uh, UCLA. They're going to win one of those games. And I think Washington might be the easiest, maybe UCLA, but Washington's one of the easier paths. I don't know if they could beat Oregon, but I think Washington, there is a path for USC in this game. I think Caleb Williams is, is playing a little pissed off right now. I think they're going to do it. Uh, I know I'm kind of basing this off vibes, which is not really something you want to be doing on an analytics show like this. But the vibes for me in this game, just kind of Washington's playing with fire right now. They're playing down to a lot of really bad teams. 
Caleb, I know USC is doing the same thing. Don't get me wrong. But I think this game will come down to whoever has the ball last. I think USC's at home. I think Caleb Williams gets it done, man. So I got 38-35. I think USC comes out on top in what should be an absolute shootout. And I think Marshawn Lloyd is a big, big factor in this game. So that's why I got USC beating Washington. I actually had Washington win this game a little bit earlier. And then I was like, you know, I don't have any upsets in this one. Which one do I actually think will happen? I changed it to USC. So I think USC is winning 38-35. But the last game that we're talking about is – Maybe the best game of the day. There, there are definitely a lot of uh, arguments, but the one I'm really excited about is number 14 LSU at number 8 Alabama, 7.45 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS. This is deja vu, Dawn. I was doing some research as to what the matchup was like last year and what it's like this year. So last year, these two teams played in Week 10. It's Week 10 this year. Last year, Alabama was 7-1. and one. They're seven and one this year. Last year LSU was six and two. They're six and two this year. LSU is eliminated from the playoff already last year. Alabama's still kind of holding on for this year. LSU can eliminate Alabama again from the college football playoff. And not only that, if LSU wins, they could kind of take control of the SEC West. Although it is kind of weird because they have lost to Ole Miss already. But last year the same thing was true too. When LSU beat Alabama, there was kind of a three-way tie, chaotic tie at the top between LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss. If LSU wins this game, there'll be a three-way tie again between LSU, Alabama, and Ole Miss. So it is really weird how similar the circumstances are in this game. Um, with Alabama having the same record, LSU having the same record, same week they're playing, Ole Miss is still in the fight for the SEC West as well. It's very weird. It's, it, it really does feel like deja vu for last year. Uh, it does, and, and but I'll tell you the difference for me. I think, I think the stakes in this game are kind of weird too because I think LSU, even with two losses, the two losses that they have, they're the one team with two losses that I don't think is out of the playoff race. Yeah. Um, you talk about at Alabama, all right, and I don't think they have much in the way of, like, hard games in the regular season after this, but if they were to let's, – let's just say you were to win at Alabama and you were to find a way to, to beat Georgia in an SEC title game. Let's just assume it's Georgia because we both picked them against Missouri. Yeah. How much – how much weirdness would have to happen for a two-loss LSU to sneak in at number four if they run the table from here in? Would a two-loss LSU – my question would be, would a two-loss LSU get in over a one-loss, let's say, Florida State? Probably, right? Ah, no, Florida State's got yes. the head-to-head, though. No, um, they got them head-to-head, but I think at this point, if you're talking about Florida State losing a game, who is it to? Miami or Florida or Louisville? Yeah. Because, okay, just take take some of the one losses. They beat Bama, take them out. Do they get in? How about this? Do they get in if they beat Georgia in the SEC title game over one loss Georgia? Probably, yeah. I'd probably say, yeah. Do they get in over, over a one loss Michigan if Michigan loses to Ohio State? <laughs> yeah, that means Ohio State probably goes undefeated though, right? Correct. Ohio State will be number one at that okay, point. Okay, so then, yeah. Yeah, they probably would. Yeah, I would get them. So they're and out. Then, and then what do you need to happen in the Pac-12? Yeah, and the Big 12 Just could madness. be out. Big 12 is out. I, I think they get an over one loss, Texas or Oklahoma, probably. Right? But def- definitely Oklahoma, I think. Texas. Yeah, yeah if, if I think Texas, got, too. If you've so got, got wins Georgia, on the yeah. ledger at Bama and against Georgia, 
especially in undefeated Georgia, mm-hmm. you start you start talking. I, you know, I, I just I think there it's weird because it's never happened, but I think they're a two loss team that's not out of it. The stakes in this this is an elimination game. It it, it, it both ways, not just for Bama. Yeah, because I think L, I think LSU, you've got a real real case if some weird things happen. If like let's just say the board is as as I have it here, and you have Oklahoma and Texas both losing. And maybe Washington keeps squeaking by, but they got to play Oregon again, right? If you know, if Oregon splits with Washington, I'm assuming they're not that Washington's not going. Oregon still has to play USC themselves. There's a lot that could happen here, and I think LSU's got a lot in their own hands. I, I think this is this is fun because it's the tinfoil hats out it, right now. I love it. We like the conspiracy it, theories. It, this is great. Well, and, and then I just have no idea what the standards are for getting in the top four based on what we saw last night. I, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know true. if it's resume or who's hot or who's the best, or if Jaden Daniels wins a Heisman, will they just want a Heisman winner in the playoff? Yeah. Or, or I, I don't know what they're looking for. I <laughs> it, it's the one thing I, like I said, I'm cool with Ohio state at one, but I have no idea how they got the rest of it. No. Yeah, it's inconsistent for sure. Dawn, there is obviously a clear matchup in this game. Maybe the best matchup of the entire season. Uh, is that the matchup you're going for for your matchup to watch in this game? You already know. I've been waiting for this for a month and a half. <laughs> um, yeah, you've got you've got Jaden Daniels and the best offense in the country. Yep. 99.9 deep passing grade. They just take shots like crazy. It's on a 100 uh, scale, you know, by the way. 99.9 out of 100. We're not, it's not like a yeah, 200 scale. It's a 100 scale. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, neighbor, neighbors and Thomas both have a 99.9 deep receiving grade <laughs> coinciding with that. That This offense is nuts. It's the one offense that, at least in the SEC, that really just outscored Missouri. I told you, Missouri has a top 10 to 12 offense, and LSU is one of the few offenses I would put above it. Jaden Daniels is such a weapon. I, I really think he's going to work his way into late first, early second round yeah. conversation. He's he's the best dual threat. He's the best dual threat in the country right now. And they make they're just a big play machine against Alabama, who we both believe is the best secondary in the country. Right, Terion Arnold, Kool Aid McKinstry, Caleb Downs, elite players, the best deep cover grade in the country at an eighty-five. You know, just just two teams that are that 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 are just so this is the the unstoppable force against the immovable object mm-hmm. it, it really is it, it's I, I told you i've been waiting for this for for two months i'm like because <laughs> you, you can just tell you've you've got you do you have i know penix and us and usc and these other teams are explosive there there is for as much talk as the pac-12 gets there is not a more explosive team in the country than lsu it's 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 really a shame that especially their defense has let them down because this offense is good enough to win a national title. It is. I mean, they got outscored uh, against Ole Miss. Was it 55 to 49, somewhere in there? I mean, yeah. I mean, Ole Miss took 53, 55 points to beat them. Florida State, the LSU wasn't quite, they weren't this in the Florida State game. There, there, there's been some changes where after that game, they got more vertical. This is a whole different team than you saw in week one. This is at that that week one game against LSU. That was last year's LSU carrying over, and, and they, they've just found this formula. Especially when Brian Thomas got going as the second option, and and now you know, and Daniel's obviously being an elite runner. I don't know 
how Alabama can stop them, or you don't really stop them. You slow them down and hold them, hopefully, to 30. Um, and, and, and if Nick Saban's not the guy who can find a way, I don't know who is. But th- this is maybe the best matchup of two units you're going to see all season. It easily is, man. I mean, Jaden Daniels leads the country in overall grade, 92.3. Tied with J.J. McCarthy for the highest. Uh, but McCarthy's played a way easier schedule than Dan- Daniels has. Neighbors leads the country in receiving yards. Brian Thomas Jr., the number two receiver for LSU, is tied for first in the country in receiving touchdowns. Their number two receiver has the most touchdown catches in the country this year. That's how ridiculous this offense is. And if Daniels wins this game, he is, in my opinion, the clear, clear front runner for the Heisman Trophy. I don't think there's anyone even close to him, honestly, Dalton. If he wins this game, I don't care what Penix does against USC. I think Jaden Daniels is close enough right now. If he goes out there and has another great game against Alabama, I would say he's the clear front runner for me for the Heisman Trophy. I know you're kind of – what do you feel about that? Do you not think he, he'd be the front runner for you? I don't think it's clear, clear. I, I think um, Penix – I think Penix is solidly in that mix. And I think the way he's played the last two weeks, Bo Nix is still in that mix. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's clear. I, and, you know, I, I had him second when we did this yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I would probably still have him a, a close second for mm-hmm. sure. If he wins this game. And he's elite I, this game. Like he, he I, think has asked, Jayden Daniels. I think I've asked you this before. Do they include conference title yes. in Heisman? Yeah, they do. I'd have to see that too. Okay. Or, or like if we saw like if we saw Penix lay an egg this week or something. I I don't think it's like clear. Okay. I think he's clearly. I don't think you can make a top three without it. I would even argue top two without Jaden. Yeah. Agreed. I I don't think so. I I, I think I I think it'd be obvious. I think against Alabama, man, if he does this, that that I'm like, all right, it's him. Oh, if he if he does come out here and do something, some Joe Burrow, something, 500 total yards and five touchdowns, and we're going to have some serious arguments about it on Monday. Yeah. Um, I got to see it. Okay. That's 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 murky because, like you said, these are five massive games, and you've got. And and you've got Penix, Penix and Daniels both now. They're playing huge games every week. This is this is going to be one of those jockeying type of races. Yeah. This is this is a fun Heisman race this year, man. It is honestly, it is a very fun Heisman race. I actually put out a take yesterday, and we'll get into it in a little bit. But I think Bo Nix might end up winning the Heisman Trophy because I think they're going to beat Washington in the rematch. And I think that Pac-12 championship game might be for the high, not only for the Pac-12 championship, that might be for the Heisman Trophy too. So it, here's the question, and, and this is the argument I made for Shadur when we did this, and now his team just totally let him down. Does it carry any weight to you that like Washington and Oregon's teams are so good, and LSU really, for the most part, there's some other, there's a handful of other good players, and they they had a hard time getting Harold Perkins going, but. Does it matter to you that Jaden Daniels has to carry more of this roster than, say, than, than Knicks and even Penix kind of in the incubators a little bit? Yeah, I think that that's a really that's a good argument. But I would also say he has at least better receiving core than Oregon, at least. Um, Washington is definitely a debate. But uh, that, that I would also put, too, is like, okay, he still has Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas and, like, all that. So that's why I, I, would, I think that's a good point. And, and honestly, helps my case with Jaden Daniels if he does win this game. But yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. I think it'll be it'll be close though. I, I think we'll get into the prediction in just a second. But I think that'll be close. Another matchup besides the secondary versus those receivers versus Jaden Daniels, Dalton, um, that will affect this passing game. 
you saw on the graphic right there, Dallas Turner and uh, Chris Braswell have been the best edge duo, I think, in college football this year. 16 sacks, that is tied for second among all edge duos in the country. Turner, sixth among Power 5 edge defenders with a uh, 21.9% pressure rate. Braswell is tied for third among Power 5 edge defenders with nine sacks this year. However, LSU, just looking at the offensive tackles for LSU, when you combine those two grades, they're the second highest graded offensive tackle duo in the country, behind only Air Force, by the way. So you can make an argument, LSU is the best tackle duo in college football. Uh, you know, Will Campbell, a guy who I loved his true freshman tape last year, he's been incredible this year. He's probably, if you want an OT1 in 2025 for the NFL draft, it's probably Will Campbell right now, man. He has been phenomenal. And then Emory Jones, uh, who was a true freshman last year as well, he's really stepped up. He was kind of Mech as a true freshman really has been stepping up as a sophomore has played pretty well as well so LSU has the highest graded tackle duo in the power five and Alabama has the best edge duo in the country man so they, that'll be a really really good matchup in addition to LSU's receivers against Alabama secondary and of course uh Jane Daniels going against that defense as well yeah this is this is a hard one this is this is a really hard one because there's there's there are so many good matchups across the board and I and I I wonder if the key isn't actually on the other side of the I, ball for I as much as we're putting that. the spotlight here of of LSU the last three games has kind of sort of figured out some coverage issues, although it's a little tilted because they just played Army and you don't really <laughs> even have to send a secondary out there against Army. I I wonder I wonder if we're if you know, this is the fun part. This is the fun this fun side of the ball, right? I, I wonder if the difference in the game, this for me is actually the hardest game to pick because I think there's strength on strength and then there's weakness on weakness. Yep. You know, I, Alabama's offense kind of stops and starts a bit. They run the ball really well. Um, Milrow with the big, does he lead the country in big time throw rate? He does. Yeah. Or he's at, le at least in the top three somewhere. If he no, leads he, it, yeah, he I, leads you know, it, yeah. big arm wants to hold the ball. Can he hold the ball against Harold Perkins? Is he coming to get him? Is he going to spy him? I, I think there's a lot of mystery on the other side of the ball. And if if you or uh, not U.S. if LSU's secondary starts kind of sort of to have things figured out, can Milrow manufacture points enough points? This this they are not going to hold LSU to less than thirty points. There's, there's, I don't even against Bama. I don't see, I don't see a scenario where LSU scores under 30 points. Is the suspense in this game, the other side of the ball, and 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 Alabama, we've seen them be better on offense. They've been good, but they've been elite on defense and good. Sometimes even just good enough on offense. 24 on Arkansas, 24 on Ole Miss. Would they score on A and M? 28. 27 leave something like that yeah i'll look it up real quick. they have they have not hit 30 points real often this year i i there i this hmm, this is a this is a hard game to pick this, this is i i just think you know and then there's some schematic things too where we mentioned i think we had another trivia a couple weeks ago malik neighbors is also the best slot receiver in the country mm-hmm and if there's a spot you want to get Bama, just, just to put your thumb in, they allow almost 75% of passes to slot receivers to be completed, uh, seventh highest in the country. There's, there's, some, there's some tweaking here that, that can go, I think, between Daniels scrambling 
between Daniels scrambling, even out, evening out the pass rush, and neighbors in the slot, and and this this is this is a tight one. Um, I yeah. What what do you what do you think of? Let's let's put it this way. What do you think Bama's offense is is capable of doing? Because I think they're going to have to be as good as they've been all year. Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to be as well. Although I do think LSU's defense is it's like you said, it's the unstoppable force against the immovable object on the when LSU has the ball, and it's the stoppable force against the movable object and the other side of the ball. So that's the interesting matchup in this game. I do think Jalen Moreau, I've really, really been impressed by him uh, these last few weeks. I think he's really figured it out since being benched. I think they're going to be able to take advantage deep on LSU and make some plays like Ole Miss did, honestly, in that game as well. I think Alabama, that's ultimately, I'll go first on my prediction. I think Alabama wins 31-30. I think it's going to be a great game again. I think LSU hits 30 points, but just barely, because I do think that Alabama secondary and the Alabama pass rush will create some problems, some problems, not all problems for LSU, but some problems. I think Alabama gets revenge on them. Is in Tuscaloosa as well. I think Alabama wins by one point and keeps their playoff hopes alive. Man, this one's hard. This is the hardest game. <laughs> it is the hardest because game. Because you you also have you also have the factor of since um Saban's been at Alabama, he's only lost to the same team two years in a row twice. Um and I believe it's been nine or ten years since someone did. I believe it was Old Miss that did it nine or ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um this is I think it's as hard as a as hard a game as we've had to pick all year. I'm actually going to take it. I kind of, I kind of want my, I kind of want my two loss narrative to keep going. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I think Jaden Daniels. I, I, I've been riding this, and, and, and I, I really think if he plays really well in this game, he could find himself in first round conversations. I, I think Bama's secondary can obviously play with them, but there, there's been moments. Second half against Arkansas, first half against Tennessee. I think Alabama's going to need to play a complete game and I I don't I can't really think of a a game this year where they've done it. There's just this stop and start thing with Bama and the problem is is if you go two three drives with three and outs or short drives, you don't want Ellis, you don't want Jaden Daniels to have the ball in his hands. No. They they really need to they need to run the ball well and and I think LSU can compete with them in the run game. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk myself I, I I'm gonna talk myself into LSU here. All right. I think Bama. I, I I think I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 38 to 34. Okay. LSU, LSU. Because I I you mentioned 31 and even I I might be generous with 34. I I I think we need to see another level of offense from Bama. And I don't know that nine weeks into it we're going to get that. Right. I'll take I'll take I'll take the Tigers. And, and and I honestly am literally making this decision as you see me thinking about it. <laughs> um, th- this is a hard one. You, you've got strength on strength. You got week on week. And I think Jaden Daniels solidifies himself maybe as a first round prospect in this game. I love it, dude. I love it. Well, that's what we got for our predictions for what should be an insane week 10 so let us know down in the comments below what you guys think will happen in week 10 what playoff contenders if any 
will go down in this game. Obviously, LSU-Alabama one, definitely one of them will go down. But let us know in the comments below what you think about our picks, and make sure you subscribe to the channel as well. Make sure you hit the like button on the video as well. Uh, stay tuned for next week. Uh, we should have a very, very fun Monday episode. Don't know quite what we'll be doing yet. We'll definitely do trivia. Dalton has to come back from his 0 for 5 in trivia. But other than that, we have a loaded Week 11 preview show as well. I think there's, right now there's uh, six games between ranked teams or five games between ranked teams in Week 12. Loaded slate as well. So make sure you guys subscribe to the channel so you don't miss our preview for that as well. But for Dalton Wasman, for producer Eli back there, I'm Max Chadwick. Enjoy this Saturday of college football because it should be special.